Hey, thanks for listening to Cornerstone Church. You can find us on the web at akcornerstone.org. And we want you to know it's our prayer that the Holy Spirit will use this message to either save you through the good news about Jesus Christ, grow you into the likeness of Jesus, or send you to proclaim Jesus in the Spirit's power. Today we're going to continue on uh, preaching through um, this... uh, (laughs) little tool that I introduced to you guys last week called the four G's and I was going to um, give you three of them today but I decided not to because it's just sometimes you feel like you have just so much content it just be um, it would just be not a, a waste is the wrong word but it just would be too much and maybe you would you would uh, there there'd be more confusion than uh, than clarity so um, I just decided hey you know what I'll just uh, tackle one more G and uh, the next time I, I preach, whenever that is, we'll just continue from there. So um, before we get to that point, um, last week, just to give you a brief recap, we just talked about the importance of the heart and how, when, what the Bible speaks of the heart, that the heart being the center of man, the heart being, from a biblical standpoint, uh, not, not, not your literal organ, but the heart. When the Bible speaks of the heart, most of the time, it's speaking of the inner seat that exists within man and woman. It's the very center of every human. It's where your emotions, your intellect, and your will exist. So when the Bible says, believe in your heart, it's not talking about the, the physical organ. It's talking about uh, that inner seat um, within you, and because we talked to, because, and because that the Bible often says believe with your heart, we talked that oftentimes the battle is really in the arena of the heart in our lives. Because the battle is really whether you're going to believe or not believe uh, who God says He is and what He has done. And it's not a matter of hey, I just need to, I just need to do these things and mark them off a checklist. No, the, the really the heart of the matter is what are you believing to be true about God and what are you not believing to be true about God? And because those very two questions will drive all your behaviors in your life and, and how you live. So we talked about that it's a matter of belief and unbelief. And the four G's are just a simple tool that um, I pray would be helpful for you because it's a tool that I use regularly in my life, and it's a tool that God is constantly using to bring me back to the person and work of, of Jesus Christ. And let's uh, remind ourselves, brothers and sisters, that this is, this is a battle. Because the battlefield is the heart, that's the battleground. And uh, last week's point was, the first G, which is God is great, so I don't have to be in control. And today we're going to talk about the second G, which is God is glorious, so I don't have to fear others. Let's talk about the glory of God for a little bit. We're going to be um, here and there in the, in the scriptures, not just in one passage today. Um, but the modern idea of something being glorious is closely related to the idea of greatness. When we say something is glorious, we mean that we get delight from it. It's big. We might even just mean that it is really great or wonderful, delightful, completely enjoyable or brilliantly beautiful or magnificent or splendid. And defining words isn't quite as easy as we'd like to think because sometimes we can use words sarcastically. For example, the dance floor of the 70s was glorious. We might just use the word to describe something that is really, really, really good. I remember while living in Hawaii, I had the opportunity to see some of the most glorious sunrises and sunsets. But just like God is not great the way a steak is great, he is not glorious the same way a sunset might be. Jonathan Dodson defines glorious as this, 
as possessing consummate worth, beauty, virtue, and excellence. In the Hebrew, the idea of glory is actually related to the idea of heaviness, to the idea of weight. Not necessarily physical weight, but to the importance of something in your life. The more influence it has over you, the more weight it carries in your life. For example, perhaps your boss carries more weight than your coworker, or your spouse carries more weight than a friend in your life. And there are many passages in the Bible that speak of the glory of God. And one scene that comes to my mind is when God met Moses and his people in Exodus chapter 19 in, on Mount Sinai. And we're going to go there, <clears throat> not to Mount Sinai, but to Exodus 19, 16 through 20. And uh, so if you'll read along with me here, Exodus nineteen sixteen through 20. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. Just, I mean, just picture that, okay? The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. Now, that's a picture, and I think oftentimes when we read Exodus, we have to really close our eyes, whether literally or figuratively. <clears throat> we have to close our eyes and we have to imagine the scene. For example, I know many of you are familiar with, with flat top. How many of you guys have ever climbed flat top? Okay, that's about a 3,500 foot elevation, right? Mount Sinai is about, you know, about a little more than twice that, about 7,500 feet in elevation. But picture yourself there. I mean, we can, we can use flat top, all right, just for imaginative purposes. You're, you're, at, the, you're at the base of, of a, a flat top. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're there with a group of people and there's thunder and there's lightning. And lightning, I mean, has a very intimidating sound, right? It's like you can't miss it if you, if you hear it. And then all of a sudden, on top of flat top, you see this just super, super thick, the thickest cloud that you've ever seen just descend upon it. All at the same time, the thunder and lightning are going around. And of course, you with other people are taking your stand at the feet of this mountain, and, and literally now you begin to see that, I mean, literally, it's, it, the scripture is speaking of the, this earthquake that is going on as you're there at the base of the mountain, and now smoke begins to, uh, begins to uh, you know, is, the, the whole mountain is wrapped up in smoke because the Lord is descending upon it in fire. And of course, the reaction of the people is the people trembled. And Why? It's the same reaction that every other person has when they come encounter with the glory of God. They, <clears throat> they see and they experience his heaviness and his weightiness and they're overwhelmed and they begin to tremble. Brothers and sisters, that's what glory is. And if you want to know how glorious you think someone or something is, just examine how much you listen to it, how much you trust it, how much you obey it appropriate. If you want to know how glorious something is in your life, ask how much it affects your behavior. How much time do you spend with it? Or how much time do you spend pursuing it? Or how much time do you spend thinking about this thing? Or how much money do you spend on this thing? God tells us that there is nothing more glorious in himself 
and that he will not share his glory with anything or anyone else. So a question we could pose for every, every one of us in this room is, what is glorious in your life? Or what gets glory in your life today at this very moment? Exodus 15.11 <clears throat> speaks of the glory of God. It says this, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? Psalm 24.8 Who is the king of what? Glory, the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. God is the only truly glorious one. In other words, he's the only one that, that deserves any kind of weight, any kind of worship. And we know that our God is jealous for his glory, and this is not a sinful jealousy. This is a righteous jealousy. We don't have time to get into that, but Isaiah 42, 8 says this, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. God will not exchange or give his glory to anyone else but himself. And where does God get glory? Well, visibly, we, one, one way to answer is, that, well, God gets glory through creation. Okay, and that's fair. The things that we see. And that is true. But the plan has always been this, that God get glory through his people. Isaiah 43, 6-7 reads this. I'll say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who was called by my name, who I created for what? My glory, whom I formed and made. Hence the very reason and purpose that you and I are made and designed is so that God would get weight. God would get the worship he deserves. And it's really through, through the people of God that he wants to be given his weight. So what is the proper response to God when he is revealed in glory? For example, when you're figuratively at that base of the mountain and you're just seeing God as glorious as he is. Or for example, when Moses met God at the burning bush and he asks God, like, when, uh, you know, when I, go to the, when I go to your people, who do I tell them that, 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 that sent me? And he said, I am. There's been much study on that phrase, but that, that phrase, I am, I mean, literally means the sum of all existence. Tell them that the sum of all existence and the purpose for everything has sent you, and it's God. And what is the proper response to him revealing himself in his glory? Of course, it's worship, but maybe more important, biblically speaking, it's fear. And not, not a fear as in I'm scared and running for my life but fear as in deference. Deference means humble submission and respect and reverence. And reverence simply means that you have this deep and special respect for someone in your life. And hence, Proverbs speaks many times about what this fear is. In Proverbs 1, to open up the proverb, he says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. But one common reason we sin is that you and I, we crave the approval of other people or we fear their rejection and disapproval. We, we often need the acceptance of others, and so at times we are ultimately being controlled by them. And the Bible's term for this kind of behavior or this sin is called the fear of man. Look at Proverbs twenty nine twenty five. The writer writes, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. 
The interesting thing is you and I spend tremendous amounts of time and energy worrying about what other people think about us. Some of us even lose sleep at night because of what might have just been a meaningless comment from someone made in passing. For, for those of you that can relate, has, has anyone ever said something to you where you were up for like, I mean, it affected you for multiple days, and finally at whatever, how long it was, you're like, I can't even believe that was bothering me, but it did for two days. Or maybe we read too much into what people say, and what did he mean, or what did she mean when she said, how are you? <laughs> Ken San said this in, regarding the fear of man in his book called The Peacemaker. He says this, about the fear of man. The fear of man can take many forms. Sometimes it involves an actual fear of what others can do to us. For example, Proverbs 29, 25 or Luke 12, 4 through 5. But it is most commonly seen as an excessive concern about what others think about us. This can lead to a preoccupation with acceptance, approval, popularity, personal comparison, self-image, or pleasing others. John 9, 22, 12, 42 to 43. Galatians 1, 2, and 1 Thessalonians 2 to 4. This idol can make us reluctant to confront serious sin. The constant desire for approval and acceptance can cause us to gossip or keep us from speaking out on moral issues. It can also make us do things we really know are not right, eventually leading to guilt and resentment. Furthermore, if we fear what others may think of us, we may also be reluctant to admit our wrongs or ask for help, which often prolongs conflict. If you've experienced any of that, then you've experienced what the Bible calls the fear of man. But if God is truly glorious in our lives, we don't have to give so much weight to what others say about us. If we have God's approval, we don't need man's. And when we, and when we don't need man's approval, we are powerfully freed to love others like we should instead of seeking to please them. When God is most glorious in our lives, he carries more weight, and we care more about what he thinks than what people think. I wanted to show a clip, but I, um, I, I just couldn't get it uh, in on time, so it's my fault completely. But uh, for those of you that have ever heard of a movie called uh, Glory Road, just by show of hands, have any of you ever seen that movie? Okay, all three of you. Awesome. Okay. Um, <laughs> Well, then I have to describe it. Glory Road is a film made by Disney, and it tells the story of the 1965-66 Texas Western Miners basketball team. And the team made history by winning the 1966 NCAA Men's Division I tournament title. And it became the first team with an all-black starting lineup to win uh, win an NCAA basketball national championship. And it's forever marked in, in collegiate uh, history. But the, the film Glory Road tells their story. And there's a clip in the story of, of one of the players on the team. His name is Harry. And Harry is, I mean, just a massive guy. I mean, just, if, you want, if you had a power forward on your team, you would want Harry. Just, I mean, just big mountain of a man, um, uh, but big time mama's boy, right? And, uh, but, you know, when he's away from mama, he's this tough kid. But when mama's there, he's a completely different clip. But he starts acting out to his coach. And his coach, you know, I mean, his coach can't get him to get his grades up. And he doesn't want to get his grades up because he doesn't want the rest of the school or his peers to, like, you know, uh, to have this, you know, projection of a nerd a, a placed upon him. He wants to be an athlete, a mountain of a man. So he's like, you know what, I'm just going to get the grades again. I'm not going to really try. So the coach does a wonderful thing, right? He, who, who does he decide to call him? Mama, right? 
So he calls mama, and this clip is so funny. It's of Harry and his friend walking down their dorm room hallway, and they're talking about girls, about how cute this girl is, and they're giggling, and, and they turn around the corner. All of a sudden, guess who's there? Mama, and she's marching down, and then the music changes, and, and she's got her purse, her handbag, and she's just marching down, that, um, down the aisle there. And all of a sudden, Harry's face changes, right? And like his, his nostrils start to flare, and he's just like, oh my, like the, the fear of Mama had come upon Harry. And, and, and the next scene, Harry is in class, in his science class, and the teacher is asking all these different questions about rocks and sediments, right? And uh, no one is raising their hands, and the teacher asks a question, and all of a sudden you see Mama come up from behind him, and he says, my son Harry knows the answer. And then she begins to ask the next question, and she's like, Harry? Harry knows, and he answers the question, and, and so forth, and the scene ends. But I had thought about this clip because even though it doesn't give an, an adequate, completely adequate picture of, of the fear of God we have, or should have, I'm sorry, it does give a picture of the influence that someone plays in our life. You see, like when, for Harry, when his mother was around, there was this healthy fear because he loved her, he respected her, he had this, he had this willing deference in that, in that, yes, you know, of course there was a fear of like, man, like don't mess with mama, but there was also this loving submission of, man, this is my mama, I, I, lo- I love my mom, she raised me. I mean, I didn't have a father, you know, she, she, was, she alone was the one that raised me and loved me and provided the nurture and care. And hence, whenever she was around, it impacted the way he lived his life. There was this certain amount of weight that his mother had in his life. And that's what it means for something to have glory in your life. How much weight does God have in your life? As I examine my own life, I see that I have only really, um, at the core level, desired the approval from a few people in my life. For example, my father. But at the same time, what's interesting is, is that I didn't want the disapproval of anybody. And I don't know if any of you can relate to that. Maybe some of you in, in your minds, like, you know, is there anything, is there anyone that you desired approval from? And if any of you could relate also that you didn't want the disapproval, disapproval of, of anyone. Uh, for me, just to give you a picture of, of what that looked like in my own life, I remember my first um, <clears throat> ministry experience was serving as a youth pastor at a, small, at a very small church. And uh, once, I left the, once I left that position, God had to do a real big work, work in my heart because what had happened was that ministry for me had become part of my identity because that's where, that's where I grabbed my identity and worth and sense, of, and sense of purpose. And that when I wasn't in ministry in the sense of, hey, I wasn't, I wasn't in this position, I felt very, like I fell, into, I fell into some depression because I was like, man, I feel like I don't have any, um, any worth. I'm not, you know, I don't feel like uh, I'm doing anything that's effective. And what, what God was clearly showing me was, man, like uh, I, as I read the Gospel of John, I came across John 3.30, a verse I had read over and over again, and it spoke of John the Baptist and what defined his ministry. And John 3.30 is my life verse, and I'm sure it's many of your own life verses, but all in all to say that John said this, that that he must increase and I must decrease. And so often in our, in our pursuit of these things that we, we look to other things to get our sense of, of approval and when, we, and when that very thing is stripped away from us or we're no longer in that position, we just kind of slump. And why? Why is that? 
because maybe we didn't, maybe we lost the approval of uh, what came with that position, or we lost the approval of the people that were in that sphere of influence, and no longer was it there, and now we are down in gloom. And brothers and sisters, I know as we talk about this, uh, as we talk about this topic of, of heart, of the heart and belief and unbelief, of course it's easier said than done. And this happens all in real time. And as, as, we, as we closely examine our lives, we're going to clearly see that you and I are believing and not believing every second of the day. So I want us to um, all imagine something, all right? If we could all think about this, uh, who is someone you fear? Okay, maybe you're telling me, Chris, I don't fear anybody. Okay, all right, fair enough. Who is someone that you want their approval of? Maybe some of you, okay, I don't care to have anyone's approval. But how about who is, uh, are there any people in your life that you don't want the disapproval of, of, of at all? And I want you to just hold that person or, what, you know, whoever that is in your mind. And I want us to go back to Exodus 19 now, right? Because we're speaking of God is glorious, so we don't have to fear others. But I want us to imagine this scene at Exodus 19, all right? And, you know, of course, we see, you know, Mount Sinai, 7,500 feet tall and, and the smoke. And we just, you know, the people of Israel, I mean, they, they, you know, they're getting a picture of who God is. They're not seeing him in his full revelation. They're only getting a portion of God revealed to them. But yet, there's not a single person that did not tremble, right? So, like if we were to like have a scale here, I want you to put God on one side, and I want you to put that person on the other side. And what's interesting is this, is that, you know, Mount Sinai being 7,500 feet tall, do you know what the, how tall the tallest human is record, in recorded history? Any, any guesses? Close to nine feet, right? Eight feet, 11 inches, all right, in, in terms of Genesis uh, book of uh, World Records in USA, Robert Wadlow. Eight feet, 11 inches. Is that pretty tall? Yeah, if any of us were standing next to Robert, we'd, we'd seem like, you know, like little people, right? All compared to Robert. So sometimes we make people bigger than they seem, but now we're, we're coming back to our hearts and we've got in our picture, we've got this glorious God, okay, above 7,500 feet tall. I mean, just I mean, thunder and lightning, trumpets blaring and, and, and smoke and earthquakes happening all at the same time. And if any of you have ever experienced any kind of natural uh, disaster, if you've ever spoken to anyone that has been in a natural disaster, they'll tell you how real it was. And there was no way they could ignore it, right? Like they couldn't close their eyes and say, it's not real, it's not real, it's not real. I mean, it was, it was real and it's happening. And you were to compare that other person that you fear or you want the approval of or you don't want the disapproval of, is there even a comparison? I would say that even if we were to compare that that person would look like a speck of dust in comparison to the image that Exodus 19 gives us of God. But yet, when we crave that approval or we, or we live in fear of disapproval of that person, you know what's happening in real time? That speck becomes much bigger than the God that Exodus 19 paints. So the answer is, like, what's, what's changing in reality? God is not shrinking, right? What's happening? Your view of God is shrinking. 
You're not viewing God as glorious and awesome and wonderful. And what's happening is this person has become awesome and wonderful and glorious. And hence, because you believe that at the heart level, that's going to drive your behaviors and you're going to surround your life around whatever it is that you feel like you need. And when that gets robbed from you or taken away from you, whether through, you know, through, uh, through, through the course of life and death or through a, a heartbreak and, and breakup, your world will come crumbling down if that's how you view people. But I think that's something that we all share in common, that we've all experienced at least once in this lifetime. And God is trying to tell us, I'm the, I'm the most glorious one, and you need not fear anyone else. You need not trust but me. And if you do, there will be, <laughs> there will be these consequences. And brothers and sisters, the interesting thing is this, is that we even fear ourselves. Because the approvals, the person's approval I want the most and the, and the person whose disapproval I want to avoid the most at, in, in many times is my own. Because for most of us, at the end of the day, when we, we want to be able to come to the end of the day to look in the mirror and say, hey, we did okay. And the scary thing is this, many of us have convinced ourselves that we believe in God. But yet, there are many of us that love the glory that comes from man versus the glory that comes from God. How is this possible? Look at John chapter 12, 42 to 43. <clears throat> this is like nearing the end of Christ's life. I mean, prior to his crucifixion. And there's just tons of content in John 12. And we don't have time to talk about, for example, the judicial hardening of the heart. But just look here at John 12, 42 to 43. Speaking of even Pharisees that believed in Jesus, all right? Here we go. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it. So they believed, but they didn't confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And what John wanted to show us from that passage was there is a difference between genuine belief and ungenuine belief. That if you confess to believe God, but yet you love the glory, the weightiness that comes from the approval of man, or that's how you live your life, then guess what? You don't love the glory that comes from God. And fundamentally, at the heart level, you are not really believing that God is glorious. At the heart level. And so often, when we, when we fall into these behaviors, we're just trying to address the symptoms. And we don't go to the root of the heart. It's like, man, at the heart level, I really don't believe that God is glorious. That at the heart level, God is not being given proper weight uh, in my life. That, that really, that, that, man, that man and women are being given more weight than God has given in my life. And hence, I've spoke about uh, functional God and functional saviors. And this is a, this is a, these are, these are um, phrases that, for example, even Martin Luther and, and John Calvin talked about. Because John Calvin talked about that the heart is this idol-making factory. It's always pumping out things to, to worship and to compete, with, uh, to compete with God. And we know that ultimately idolatry is behind all of our sin. It's when we place a greater weight on something other than God. Whatever, whatever those things are that we feel like we can't live without and drive our behaviors, those are functional gods. So like I said, that very thing that would be stripped away from you and your life would come crumbling down, that has just become a functional God in your life. You essentially worship that very thing. 
Our physical bodies may not bow down to these things, but our hearts do, and it's the same exact thing. And functional saviors are the things that you and I will use to establish our worthiness. Whatever we can use to, whatever we can, whatever, whatever facade or image we can create that'll separate us from the rest, that's what becomes a functional savior. It's like uh, at times for some of us in here, we feel like we're on the island where survivors filmed. And whatever we can do to separate us from the rest, because God is this judge that's looking at us, and whatever we can do to, to set us apart, all right, then we'll be accepted. Those things have become our functional saviors. But you and I, we all need to align our hearts in rightful worship of the only one who is worthy. Because if, if God alone is the only glorious one in this, in, this, in this universe, then he alone deserves our praise, amen? No one else. So what do we do then? Okay, we, we all acknowledge that the heart is the battlefield. And you and I, if we're honest with ourselves, we, we fail more often than not. And you and I seek other things and, and approval from others. So, so what is the answer? We need to be captivated by something greater. And what, is that, what does that tell us in Scripture? Well, it's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the window into the Godhead. Hebrews 1.3 says that Jesus Christ is a radiance of the glory of God. Ephesians 1.10 talks about, uh, you know, uh, if you were to look at Ephesians 1.10, it just talks about how all things are summed up in Jesus Christ. So if you were to take this huge mathematical equation, 1 plus 2 plus 3, and just keep going, and ultimately it would equal Jesus Christ. The sum total of everything the beginning and the end of all things. Hebrews 1.3 says he's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Now, we can have the praise team come up at this time. But brothers and sisters, God is glorious, so you and I don't need to fear others. What you and I need is a clearer picture of the person and work of Jesus Christ because, like I said, he is the window into the Godhead. He is the very radiance and brightness of the glory of God. And the clearer we see him, the more we will worship and adore him. You see, because Jesus changes us. And the more that we make that our prayer of, hey, less of me and more of you, and the more we pray as Paul did to live as Christ and to die as gain, the clearer that he'll, he'll become in our minds and the bigger he will become and the more glorious he will, be, he will become. Ed Welch in his book, When People Are Big and God Is Small, writes this. He says, the most radical treatment for the fear of man is the fear of the Lord. God must be bigger to you than people are. Regarding other pre- people, our problem is that we need them for ourselves more than we love them for the glory of God. And the task that God sets for us is to need them less and to love them more. Perhaps you have not been seeing God as glorious. Perhaps you've been fearing men, or perhaps you've been craving and longing for the approval of others more than God. And when you do that, what do you do? What does the Bible tell us to do? It tells us to repent and believe the gospel. Okay, and I, I pray that we can just be real with the Lord at this time. You see, because um, just to give you an example, even from my own life, is recently, I think last month I had shared to you that I'd gotten this, um, this letter um, 
from someone close to my life, and it was a very, a very um, destructive, hurtful letter, and it made me angry, and uh, I mean, I just hadn't been that angry for a long time. And all that to say, as I was, as I was preparing this sermon, I just realized this, is that, man, God, at the fundamental heart level of, of where we believe and don't believe, I was not believing you to be glorious by the way I reacted. Because at that very moment, I was letting the words of this person define who I was. And hence, because, because that, that, that view of that person in my life was so important, I reacted in anger and sin. And God, hence I stepped back and saw you as big as you are and as glorious you, as you are. I would have responded a lot differently. Because I would have seen you as really big and I would have seen this person as really small. And it wouldn't have mattered what they said. It wouldn't have mattered that I had their disapproval. In fact, I would have been reminded that I have the approval of the glorious God who sits over every mountaintop, who, who, who there's not a single person or king in this universe in which they were to stand in the presence of God. They would not tremble. So at that very moment, I was like, Lord, I need to repent because I wasn't believing the gospel. <clears throat> Repentance then in that case is me coming to God and acknowledging my unbelief. Father, I come to you. I acknowledge that I crave the approval and acceptance of others more than you. I acknowledge that I didn't see you as glorious and as awesome and as wonderful as you are. And God, that you were not given the full weight of my heart. And I acknowledge this as sin because sin is believing a lie about you. And when I see people as big and you as little, I'm not believing you're glorious and amazing. And hence, I'm believing a lie about you. I'm believing that you're small and tiny and unable to do anything. I acknowledge you, though, Lord, as glorious, wonderful, and awesome. And I turn from that lie and cling to truth. And I pray that at this moment, we could just spend some time in prayer. I don't know what it is in your life, but I know that the battlefield is the heart. And what are you believing and what are you not believing to be true? Do you genuinely believe that God is glorious? Because if you did, then you wouldn't live in fear of man. And if you have been living in fear of man, come before him and repent. Repent and believe the gospel. Maybe you think, maybe for some of us in this room, you think that your righteousness, your right standing comes through your hard work and effort. And that's not true. And hence, by your performance, what you're doing is you're devoiding the gospel of its power because you think that the power comes from your effort and not what Jesus Christ has done on you. And what Jesus Christ asks of you is to believe, to trust in that. And if that's you, repent. Say, God, I have not been seeing you as glorious. I've been seeing my performance as glorious. And what I can achieve and what I can do is glorious. Maybe for some, if you haven't received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then he isn't getting any kind of glory in your life. And this can be an opportunity for you, too, to repent and believe. Or even if you're just even, if, even if, if the person and work of Jesus spawns curiosity in your life, be honest and pray. You know, many brothers and sisters who have come to the Lord in that way, beginning beginning with uh, a conversation. God, I don't believe you, but I'm just sensing that there's something more to this life. And would you just, if that's the case, would you reveal yourself to me? And hence what happens, God does reveal himself because 
He wants to be found. He's not playing a game of hide and seek with us. Amen? So let's pray. And I just wanted to give us a few moments just to pray and to reflect. Father, you are the most glorious one in this universe. Father, you created the heavens and the earth. You have made all things. We thank you that you are a good God. We know that you uphold the universe by your hand. We know that you've literally got the whole world in your hands. And God, I pray that as humans here on planet Earth, we would, we would really see ourselves as how small we really are. Scientists don't even know the bounds of space. But yet, God, our Father God has the whole world in his hands. And God, we can just look outside and we can see your glory. We can take a drive any direction here in Anchorage and your glory is clearly revealed and we thank you that we live in a place like this. Because I believe it's a reminder every day when we wake up, we should be able to shout that the heavens declare the glory of God. And God, we also, we also acknowledge that giving you glory is a battle because the glory, the weightiness that you should be given is often given to other things in our life and oftentimes it's given to other people rather than you and there is not a single person in this world other than Jesus Christ who is worthy of that glory. And God, I repent and I pray that there are people here in this room repenting for that, God. Because Lord, so often at various points in our day, we believe lies about you. When we seek the approval of, of other people in our lives, we're believing a lie about you. And God, we don't want to be driven by that. We want to be driven by the glory of God, by, by, by your weightiness and your worth in our lives. So Lord, we come to you and we, we repent. We repent of our unbelief and help us to believe the gloriousness of, of the person and work of Jesus. Help us to, as we read the word of God and as we pray, help us that help, help our hearts to get enamored and just awed by the person and work of Jesus. And I pray that in our lives here, God, that we would begin to see breakthrough. That, Lord, that, that as the gospel becomes more real in our hearts, we would, we would see that our desire for the approval of, of men and women would, would, would grow less and less. And help us to delight in the approval that we have of our Father, who is the most glorious one. I pray that that would be so rock solid at the core of our beings, Lord, that it would affect everything that we, that we did. And every time we got off course, God, I pray that the Holy Spirit would just be right there. I mean, blaring signs, like honking horns. And that we would be so in tune with the Holy Spirit that at that very moment we would repent and believe the gospel. And God, we know that this is, a, this is a battle. And it's not all about having this in a neat, cute package and unwrapping, no. But God, we thank you that you meet us in the messiness of everyday life, that even in the midst of us craving the approval of other people, you don't disown us. You let us go our way. You let us learn. And you're always there for us to return to. And we thank you that you are a patient Father. 
But God, we don't, want, uh, we don't want to take advantage of the grace that we have in Jesus to pursue the things of this world. No, we want the grace of Jesus to propel us closer and closer to the Father. So, Father, I ask for, on behalf of everyone in this room, show us more and more every day how much you love us. Because I'm convinced that the more clear we see that, the more glorious we'll see you, and the less approval we'll need from other people, God. So to you, God, alone, be the glory and power forever and ever. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.